Well, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And uh, warm welcome to you. Welcome to Bayside Church Online for this Easter Sunday. On Good Friday, I shared with you why Jesus died on a cross. Why did Jesus have to die? And today I'm going to answer the question, did Jesus really rise again? If you want to follow this message in your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 11 and uh, you'll find message notes online too or you can take your own notes today. I encourage you to do one or the other. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, so Luke, Dr. Luke is writing this to this guy. We really don't know very much about him, but Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to this guy, Theophilus, and now he's writing the book of Acts as book number two, what Jesus did, now what he continued to do through his church. And so in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. And I'll come back to those three words in just a moment. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. But John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons or the dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is basically saying to them, mind your own business and get on with the job that I've called you to. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so we have there the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and the promise of the return of Jesus all in those magnificent verses. Many convincing proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you a little bit later in this message, an incredible story of someone who investigated and found the resurrection to be convincing indeed. But some people need a lot of convincing. And over the centuries, there's been all sorts of theories uh, postured about, well, Jesus didn't really die, maybe this happened or maybe that happened. And so let's touch on some of those first before we look at the many convincing proofs. Number one is the swoon theory. The swoon theory is the belief that Jesus didn't really die at his crucifixion, 
but was merely unconscious when he was laid in the tomb. And there he resuscitated. Sometime he just woke up um, and accordingly his appearances after three days in the tomb are merely perceived to be resurrection appearances, but they weren't. Jesus kind of just woke up and, uh, and, and he wasn't really dead at all. He just swooned or passed out. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, the Roman guards, Pilate and the Sanhedrin all testified to his death. The Bible says that every matter should be established by two or three witnesses. And there we have three witnesses, Pilate, the Sanhedrin and the Roman guards all said, no, Jesus actually really did die. Uh, Around the cross, of course, because it was Passover, they wanted the three people, Jesus and the two criminals, they wanted them to die. Uh, quickly so they could be buried and then the Passover would begin. And so they went and broke the uh, legs of the two criminals. But when they got to Jesus, they found that he had died already. And then, of course, they shoved the spear into Jesus' side and out of his side came blood and water. That showed that his whole cardiovascular lymphatic system had broken down through death and blood and water came out as a result. To think that Jesus swooned after all that he experienced, like he just passed out, is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you think about what he went through. Uh, On Good Friday, he was flogged, he was tortured, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was crucified. He had all of the sin of humanity placed upon him. The spear was shoved through his side, and then he was taken and embalmed wrapped in bandages and, uh, and spices and oils and laid in a tomb. And to think that he just woke up at some time, was able to get out of the grave clothes, was able to push that stone away and escape the tomb is just absolutely ridiculous to believe. So much easier to believe that Jesus was physically raised from the dead as he was. The second theory is the wrong tomb theory. This theory suggests that everyone mistakenly went to the wrong tomb, which was empty. Matthew 27 verse 57 says, And as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So Joseph knew where the tomb was. Mary and the other Mary knew where it was. Lots of people knew where this tomb was. It's highly unlikely that they went to the wrong tomb. Tombs cut into rock faces so near the city were not all that common in the first century world. So there would not have been many tombs to choose from. Besides, the tomb where Jesus lay would only have been, would have been the only one surrounded by Roman guards. It was obvious that Peter and John knew which tomb to check without having to be shown by the women when they were told of the resurrection of Jesus. And if all the disciples had gone to the wrong tomb, then why didn't the Sanhedrin just simply point to the right tomb and produce the body of Jesus? They didn't do that. So 
People didn't go to the wrong tomb. That is a wrong theory. Number three is the theft theory, which we actually find in Scripture. This theory suggests that Jesus' body was stolen from the tomb by one of two groups of people. One suggestion is that Jewish authorities stole the body of Jesus. The second suggestion is that the disciples stole his body in order to claim that Jesus was resurrected. We find that in Matthew's gospel in the last chapter, verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 11. While the women were there or on their way there, uh, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, the disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Because those two guards, actually, if they'd let the disciples in to steal the body, those two guards would have lost their lives. They would have... Uh, uh, been subject to capital punishment. And so if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money, did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Of course, this has uh, a theory that's full of holes. Let me suggest some of those to you. First of all, if the guards were asleep, how do they know what happened? How do they know the disciples came? We were sleeping. Yeah. Would anyone, uh, would anyone stealing the body really have gone to the lengths of unwrapping the grave clothes and then placing them folded back into the tomb, which is where they found Jesus' grave clothes? I don't think so. They would have just lifted the body and run. Why were the disciples not arrested if the authorities knew that they had stolen the body? If the authorities stole the body, when they, why didn't they produce it when the disciples began preaching in Jerusalem that Jesus was alive? Why didn't they just say, well, no, he's not. Here's his body. We had it all along. And if the disciples had stolen the body, why did they all get martyred for their faith? And you think about it. I mean, Judas took his life. All of the other apostles were martyred. If they had been part of some conspiracy decades before that they'd stolen the body of Jesus, why would they have gone through with their horrendous deaths of martyrdom? Why didn't they just say, well, sorry, this is all a big hoax. We were wrong. We don't want to die. But they didn't. They went through with their martyrdom. The fourth and final theory we're going to touch on is called the hallucination theory. This theory really is the most bizarre the proponents of this theory believe that the witnesses to the resurrection all suffered from hallucinations because they wanted Jesus to appear in front of them. They were so desperate to see Jesus, they all saw him. What do we say in answer to the hallucination theory? Well, Jesus appeared to his disciples several times over a period of 40 days. He ate with them and they could touch him. Jesus appeared not only to individuals, but also to groups of people. On one occasion, he appeared to 514 people all at the same time. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of hallucinating. Uh, one never sits with a hallucinated figure, eating with them, touching with them, all of that kind of thing. It is possible for an individual to have a hallucination, but highly unlikely for whole groups of hundreds of people 
to have the same hallucination at the same time. You think about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to various people. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, then he appeared to the women followers, the women disciples, then he appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he appeared then to all of the apostles without Thomas being there, he then appeared to all of the apostles including Thomas, then he appeared to the disciples by the lake and we don't really know how many disciples were there and then he appeared to over 500 people at one time and then later on of course he appeared to the apostle Paul while he was on the road to Damascus. Despite the best attempts, the best attempts rather, of the skeptics to dream up an alternative reason for the empty tomb, I think that the evidence overwhelmingly supports and leads to one realistic conclusion, and that is that Jesus rose from the dead just as he said he would. As he said he would, he did. One of my favourite stories is uh, that of Josh McDowell. He uh, is uh, a guy who's been an apologist for the Christian faith now for many, many decades. Some of his books were the first books I read when I became a follower of Jesus in my late teens and early 20s. More Than a Carpenter, Evidence That Demands a Verdict and so many other books. I encourage you to get a hold of some of Josh McDowell's books and have a read of them. They're really good faith-building material. Josh tells his story of uh, how he was looking for meaning and purpose in life. He was an agnostic, but he was aware that there was something lacking in his life. He wanted to know why he, was, why he existed, why he was here, why he was on the planet, what his purpose was, and he decided to start looking. For a while, he started going to a church, but he felt that he found, he found himself worse being in a, this particular church than he was when he wasn't in it. So he, he thought that Christianity and the church had nothing to offer. And so he started looking at different things, partying, alcohol, all of that kind of stuff, hard work. He, he looked in lots of different directions. And then he found this group of people at the university where he was studying law. And these people all seemed to be incredibly happy, positive, upbeat, like, you know, and relaxed in life. And so he started to converse with these people and he found that they were all followers of Jesus Christ. Well, he tried to argue with them and refute what they were saying, but deep down, he said he actually wanted to think that they were right. On one of these discussions one day, one of the, the people there, they challenged him and they said, well, you know, don't take our word for it. Why don't you go and seek out truth for yourself? Check out the claims of Jesus. Check out the evidence that exists for the existence of Jesus, for his crucifixion and for his resurrection. And so Josh McDowell did that. He writes, I took the challenge seriously. I spent months in research. I even dropped out of school for a time to study in the historically rich libraries of Europe. I found evidence, evidence in abundance, evidence I could hardly believe with my own eyes. Finally, I could come to only one conclusion. If I were to remain intellectually honest, I had to admit that the Old and New Testament documents were some of the most reliable writings in all of antiquity. And if they were reliable, what about this man Jesus whom I had dismissed as a mere carpenter? 
I had to admit that Jesus Christ was more than a carpenter. He was all he claimed to be. Read some of his stuff. So faith building. If you check out those claims, the claims of Jesus Christ, you'll find that they are rock solid. Did Jesus really rise again? Was he really resurrected from the dead? Well, yes, he was. Yes, he did. He came back to life. What does that mean to us? Well, if you're already a follower of Jesus, for me personally, and I hope you as well, you find this incredibly faith-building, that, that our faith is not based on, on some claims that are really unfounded, that the claims of Jesus Christ, that he was a real historical figure, that he died on a cross, that three days later he was resurrected. There is so much proof that exists. You can read that proof in the Bible. You can read that proof in books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict and, and More Than a Carpenter. But our faith is something that, it, that rests and lies on rock-solid truth, and that does you good. If you're seeking truth at the moment, can I encourage you to do what Josh McDowell did? Start to read, start to look around, read some of his books, uh, they're incredibly faith-building. Look for answers and, and find those answers for yourself. I know that, that God and the Bible and Jesus Christ can handle the scrutiny of a human being. I did that more than 40 years ago and as an atheist converted to Jesus Christ and I've been a follower of Jesus now for more than four decades and uh, my faith is as strong and unwavering today as it ever has been. I want to pray a prayer with you right now. If you want to dedicate your life to become a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you with me to bow your head now and to close your eyes and to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word today. I want to know that you are real. I want to know that Jesus is real. Make yourself real to me. Show yourself to me by your word and by your spirit. As I investigate, I pray that I will find you to be real. In fact, right now, I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me, to wash me clean, and to fill me with your presence. I want to know you in your name. Amen. A simple prayer like that is what I prayed as a 19-year-old and again as a 21-year-old. God made himself real to me. I sense his presence with me all the time. And you can too. I'm nothing special. You can experience his love and his presence as well. If you have just prayed that prayer, why don't you send us an email, connect at baysidechurch.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to post a Bible to you and some info about the decision that you have just made that can help you on your Christian journey. And if you're looking for a church or if you want to join Bayside Church in one of our connect groups that we're doing virtually at the moment through Zoom, again, send us an email and we will connect you to other believers. Connect at baysidechurch.com.au. On your message notes, you'll find discussion questions that you can use in those connect groups as well.